Yes, sir. We're live. Sports Dev Series. Our main man, number one football pundit. You know, as far as we're concerned, <laughs> it's a building. Mike, what's up, man? Thank you, brother. Number one in every space that I'm in, I think. <laughs> yeah, you're number one to us. That's all that matters. Uh, happy to be here. Happy Sunday. Yeah, happy Sunday, man. So uh, now nah, we've, we've kind of gone through all the qualifiers. We kind of had the aftermath. Unfortunately, you predicted a uh, knockout. I think I sent you a video. <laughs> I sent you a video of, of you actually predicting it. You know, um, one of the few times I wish you were not right. But, um, you know, it is what it is. And we'll move on. I think we'll talk some more about Eguavon. We'll talk about African qualifiers. Talk about global qualifiers. Talk about the World Cup draw. Which you've all seen now, uh, end of the year. It's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be sick. It's gonna be sick. And uh kind of go from there. But uh before we jump in, always have to talk about our favorite fruit powder, which is Arawa Baobab. It's highly nutritious. Comes from the Arawa region of Nigeria, high in antioxidants, vitamin C, one of the best substances you can add to your diet, high in electrolytes, alkaline in nature can't go wrong order it from arewabaobab.com that's a-r-e-w-a-b-a-o-b-a-b.com you get free shipping in north america and add it to your nutrition plan anyways so my man yeah for once i'm at a loss loss for words (laughs) after saying what i saw there but you know let me begin by saying something because i think sometimes we get caught up in all these um matchups and competitions that we fail to recognize that we should congratulate the Ghanaian Black Stars for over two legs, basically outperforming our Super Eagles, which one will say was a more talented team. You know, you can see that Ghana, they had the game plan and they stuck to it over two legs completely. And in fact, the game plan they executed in Lagos was a classic, a master plan. And you know, in, in, in sports, you always have your game plan that you discuss all week, what we're going to do. But a lot of times, it's it's not that game plan that wins you the game. It's your in-game adjustment that actually delivers the result at the end of the day. And one must say that when in the balance of things, the Ghanaian bench coaching staff completely just out-fought, out-foxed, and outwitted ours. You know, as this is a start, because uh, in the second half, when we was already tied 1-1 after they scored that early goal that, of course, it was a gift. But still, by the time it was 1-1, the, the start of the second half, the Ghanaian coach decided to switch to a back five. And because he could see that the danger that was occurring was around one particular player, Victor Simen. And, um, yeah, that back five just limited his space. And to the chagrin of a lot of Super Eagles fans... The coaches didn't even seem to understand that that had happened. And so somebody was saying that it was one of the, the Super Eagles players on the field that had to let the coach know. And, of course, I don't know the validity of that statement. That Ghana had switched to a back five, and the adjustments were not very good to account for that. In fact, when you look at that second half, Ghana, that second half, Ghana completely just outclassed us. They, they controlled the ball. We then we barely had the ball. You know, the midfield was just in control. And... The worst part of that is just seeing the lack of fight and lack of ideas. You could just see it on the body language of the Super Eagles. Like they had, by 70 minutes after that match, we had already conceded that we had lost that World Cup ticket by the players' body language. There was no fight in them. It, it was it was rather disappointing, you know. Now it sucks because we actually didn't lose any games over the two legs. But hey, the rules say if you give up a goal at home, then it counts against you, and that's exactly what we did. We failed to score in Ghana should have and Ghana scored in Nigeria with a speculative shot that you know nine a hundred times out of a hundred times that goalkeeper should be saving that but such are the breaks and the end result is that green white green will not be hoisted come November 27th Wait, but, but let's talk about let's talk about the goal for a second right so if we look at that goal throw in boom party one touch second touch boom Uzoho had it covered goes under his body, go. Let's rewind back to AFCON. Tunisia, boom. Throw in, guy gets the pass, gives it to the other guy, boom. One touch, two touch, boom. Okoye Maduka touches the ball, 
go. Both situations, players could have been closed down, shot would have been prevented or blocked. Right? Both situations. Both situations could be saved. Right? Um, now, given, even if we consider the goal, similar type of goals, very cheaply given, your other point you made about controlling the midfield and creating enough chances where we can equalize and take the game seemed to be lacking. Um, is that a function of coaching? Is that a function of um, bad tactics? Well, is that, well, is that, yes, is that? Yes, yes and no. Yes and no. Because again, a lot of these guys are, are professionals. They play in the highest, uh, you know, the highest stages, the, the top, top leagues in the world. And of course the, the fault you could say for both those goals you mentioned, one against Tunisia and the cup of nations and, one right there against Ghana and Abuja, is simply that the defensive midfielder didn't do their job, you know. And, and honestly speaking, when you look at Ghana, when you look at the team sheet, when you look at the uh, what's where is the danger going to come from? Clearly, obviously, balls behind for to uh, the the young kid Felix Apinagian, because that was pretty much covered all day. The second, the second, and maybe even number one on the list would be speculative long shots from Thomas Partey. Look. Ask yourself the question, did we even get a chance when we had the ball on their side of the field to even execute that type of a shot? No, because the coaches, they knew where the weaknesses on their defense was, and they also knew what our strong points on offense on the offensive side of the ball was, and they were drilled, drilled into closing those spaces down. Where is our favorite places? Where is our favorite touch that we like to go with the ball? Our wingers were cut down, you know, so on and so forth. This is where coaching comes into play, where it's like, okay, all through the week, all through the four days, we're drilling this. Okay, when the ball comes out here, I mean, these are not like exceptional places. In fact, if you look at the build up to the goal, everything about that build up was horrible. The free kick we conceded was a weak free kick to concede on the left side of the field and Ghana's attacking left side. And then right off the free kick, the guys were not even ready. They weren't ready to go. So Ghana played a quick free kick and had a free guy on the left side. And eventually, I think it ended up being either a throw in or a corner, but the ball's in the corner. Quick throw in, one touch to the guy on the left, gets it to Thomas Partey, who has time to corral the ball, take it, like you said, take another step before just at best a speculative shot. And it wasn't even that good of a shot, you know? And so those are things that coaching will address, will say this is their best route to score on a goal because they weren't getting behind us, they weren't beating our fullbacks, they weren't doing any of the things that you know, a, a powerhouse team you'd be scared of can do. Yes, coaching, definitely coaching. So, so, in other words, you you support uh, termination of Eguavon after oh, the man. after the game, and then if also you saw what he said about um, hey, that you know he told the NFF that they should have never gotten rid of Janet Roar, you know that the timing was bad. Funny, well, that's, that's medicine after death. We saw we saw enough to be able to assess his ability as a coach. And in, in the two big, well, there were three big games he was there for. Granted, again, I always want to just be very fair and say, okay, he didn't have enough time. But Iguavon has had enough of history with the Super Eagles that now we can clearly see that, you know, great effort, very patriotic to take up the reins when after Jigenot Royal was fired in such a short time. Gave us a very good result against Egypt, but now come to think of it, now we can see that this Egyptian team is just really not that good. The only the only person that they have is Mohamed Salah. The rest of the team is just average to below average. All they do is they want to defend, 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 and counter, and hopefully Salah does break. something for you without any real pattern to their game. So no, even that even that victory over Egypt is starting to look less of a big victory now than it, it seemed at the time. But against Tunisia. The, the problem with Iguavon is not the style of play, but it's the reaction when things don't go the way they're supposed to go. And in those two big, in basically three of the games, because two against Ghana and one against Tunisia, it's been shown that there is no, he doesn't have any ability, or he hasn't shown the ability to make that in-game adjustment, which is what I began with. Ghana's coach, Otto Addo, who's also a young coach, showed that ability. That switch at the beginning of the second half to a backfire. That's, that's the, that was the biggest difference in that game. Because Otto, Otto, Otto Ado has, um, 
I mean, sometimes you have to look at someone's pedigree, right? Where they came from, how they were brought up. Otto spent time in that German system. Matter of fact, I think he was born in Germany. Um, mm -hmm. He has come up under some of those guys there, high, very good tacticians, you know, well-schooled in the game, you know, um, and he's been able to implement that. You could see it. Um, and Aguavon, yes, I'm not knocking him. I mean, he has his credentials. I mean, he certainly does. But you and I know coming up with really good tactics in any sport as a coach comes with experience and, and tutelage, who you've been under, what you've been exposed to, how you've been able to learn. Um, and, I, I, you know, this is sports dev. So in talking about our coaches, you know, um, and the NFF system for trying to develop top quality coaches, you know, what do you think about that? And, and, and that being a role in, in coming up with really good tacticians that, I mean, cause guy, dude, we didn't qualify for U17. We didn't qualify for U20. Now we haven't qualified for the world cup. There's something fundamentally wrong here. And this has nothing to do with um, just Jeanette Rohr or Eguavon. They're going to fire Eguavon and they'll bring in some other clown, foreign, domestic, whatever. But it's almost like saying, oh, okay, the, the rot is still in there. Let's just paint yeah. the top of the building. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And and uh, Matt, and therein lies one of the issues there. The other thing, too, is, okay, granted, we know there's a rot in the system. But when you look at the, the makeup of the coaching staff that undertook this, you know, uh, job to take over from Gennett Raw, it was made up of absolute failures by the Nigerian space. You know, we're talking about Paul Ibogun. He would played some of the most useless brand of ball that we've seen in any under-20 Nigerian team before. And in fact, yeah, all through the uh, under-20 Afghans all the way to the World Cup, they were just unrecognizable as a Nigerian yeah, yeah. team. And he yeah. gets, what, what's his reward? He gets put in to be, go coach the Super Eagles. Um, Salisu Yusuf, I believe that's his name, the uh, coach that should not be anywhere near the Super Eagles because he's been tainted with the scepter of, of corruption, very caught red-handed. Um, in any other place, that guy will never be able, will never come near the national team, any national team, any federation job. But of course, in Nigeria, we all know how that goes. He's on the yeah. coaching staff. Um, Emmanuel Monique, okay, great. Everybody was clamor for him to join the coaching staff. But at the end of the day, when you look at his record, it's not a very good record. Uh, with uh, He qualified Tanzania for the Nations Cup, but they weren't eager to retain his services. He, get, he gets hired by an Egyptian club, and within a month or so, He's gets fired. shunted to the front office and, and for all effects and purposes, fired. Um, I mean, he's had some success in the, on the 17th space, but also failure to qualify Nigeria for the under-20 World Cup with those same under-17 players. So, and then and let's talk about Austin Iguavon. Again, I, I'm trying not to really be harsh on him because he got put in a very untenable situation. Tough, tough situation. Tough situation, but, yeah. But, but the records are still there for all to see. Uh, failure. He he's one of the coaches that was a part of the last non-qualification for the World Cup in 2006. He headed he headed the um he began the campaign in 2012 when our qualification for Afcon and which started in disaster, leaving him to get fired midway through the qualification, and then Samson Siasser being asked to come take over to uh, remedy a situation that was already maybe on rem. Um, unfixable to certainly of course it was not very very surprising that we didn't qualify for that cup of nations which we ended up qualifying the next year and winning it under stevie keshi but yeah and then this so we finished our worst finish in afcon in 40 years right and not qualification for the work at some point you know whatever the excuses are the reasons are these are the things that follow you sports is a result oriented business it's not about how pretty you play all the time I and mean, it matters to us but we all need to play pretty, but you still got to win. You know, yeah. let win first, and then we can critique the style of play. So no matter what, we can't lose fact or focus on that. So there are some coaches in the Nigerian space, and uh, some already clamors are calling for people like George Finiti to come in and, and take over one of the uh, youth teams. Uh, uh, Mr. Boboye, uh, I think he's a free agent right now, but there's another there's a coach that coaches for, I believe, is Plateau United. A lot of people are very, very happy with the style of play that this team executes. So what the problem is in Nigeria when it comes to the coaching space is how what we're doing in our leagues, right? What we're doing in our leagues, by the way, is 2-2 Liverpool just equalized. 
Nice. Yes. Nice. Uh, what we're doing in our right. leagues, how we're developing the style of play. When you look at the style of play in the leagues, it's 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 really shambolic. You know, it's a shambolic, it's like police football, long ball, nothing, nothing, nothing concrete, you know. It's development of the ball starts from grassroots. And really that's where we got it. We have to just we have to take this hit and understand that, understand that um it is a moment for us to re just rejig the system, go back and un- not just say, oh, it was a one-off, but understand that there's something wrong and we have to try to fix it. It might take some time, but we did we need to fix our local league. And now, look, we have to get to the point where our, our players, when they leave, they leave the shores, are technically efficient. They're good enough to go into any of these teams in Europe and not have to sit on the bench for one year, two years, uh, apply their trades in these obscure leagues trying to learn the trade, you know? Our guys, our, our guys are just not – our players are just lacking technique, and that comes from coaching. We need, to, we need to make sure that our, grass, our coaches, we have enough youth grassroots coaches that are teaching what we want them to teach in terms of technique. And that might mean the Federation needs to sponsor coaches. We need guys with calf. We don't even have coaches with calf badges. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It, 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 you know, and that, yes, dude, you're hitting the nail on the head, man. And, 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 and that is where the focus needs to be. You just failed to qualify for the World Cup. You didn't qualify for the U17. You didn't qualify for the U20. So none of your youth teams get to compete on the national on the international stage. And by the way, your national team has also failed. You're um you're not you can't source players that you trust from within your shores. You're looking for young players that have been developed abroad whose parents happen to be Nigerian. That is admitting a fundamental flaw in your development program let's be honest but then if you have these conversations with some of these decision makers usually they said to me usually they say to make change you have to admit that there's a flaw right you have to be willing to say okay what we're doing is not working and that is where the yawa will start as we say in nigeria that's where the problem starts because it's like you're not going to get them to admit that we don't have a clean system for development of coaches, a system for development of players, a system that will ensure, like you said, our guys have the right technical ability to be able to compete with anyone at the club level. And we need to stop playing 40-year-olds in our club teams. These, these, these are real, real issues. Players don't get paid their salaries. These are fundamental things that if the Federation doesn't address you're not going to move forward as a league. In, in, the, in the years preceding when we had our golden generation, a lot of those players played in our leagues. A lot of them came up in the leagues. But you can see the difference then and now. You know, the yeah. Amuniques, you know, the Finidis. Finidi played for Sharks or Potakots. You know, the, the list goes on and on. Almost every single one of those guys that I've either talked to or investigated, you find out that they came up through a system that involved the leagues, because signed abroad or whatever, because they were good enough. Right. But now you look, listen, you'd be hard-pressed to find guys in our league that you can actually take. If you look at most of the guys who grew up in Nigeria playing on our national team, most of them didn't play in our leagues. Nope. Not they, they bypass the league because the, yeah. and the league is not developing anybody. And but they're right. even talking about that now. And so now uh, in that match against um, against against Ghana in the second leg in in Abuja, one could see that um, I believe it was six players that were foreign born. Demo uh, Lukman, the Oibo Wall, two of them. That's three. Ola, I know Basi. Entire back four. Well, in other words, in other words, half of the team. Before and born. And mm-hmm. the problem with that is that nothing wrong with that at all. If the players of, of enough quality, let them come play for us. But you now see that some of these guys, you know, maybe I wouldn't say Balogun and Truce because they play, they played long enough to understand. But it's just Calvin Bassey was just off the pace. He just wasn't comfortable. It looked like the heat was too much for him, you know, and he, he just didn't look like the type of player 
that should be the starter for the Super Eagles in a crucial match like that. Unfortunately, he probably deserved to start because we didn't have any options. Olai mm-hmm. now is always, I always like his industry and I've always enjoyed his play. He had one of his off games too. But the thing that it, you just didn't see that sense of urgency that comes with understanding the passion because you grew up in the country, you know, you, you yourself were once that passionate fan that you couldn't wait to see the Super Didn't have that. And it's unfortunate because that says a lot about where we stand in football right now, that if we half of our team are foreign uh, players born outside the shores of the country in a crucial match like that, then it just speaks volumes for our development on the local side. I think that speaks the most volumes. Like you said, on the 17, no way. The 20, no way. When's the last time we made the Olympics? You know, so it's like the development itself is, is 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 lacking. By the way, Liverpool have now turned the screws. What I was telling you about how Man City were the team that just came wave after wave. It's becoming a Liverpool wave after wave after wave. In fact, by now they should have already scored another goal. But anyway, this is not. I digress. Um, no, no, bro. I think the thing is this. You know, development, um, the NFF, development of football in any country, is controlled by the federation the federation has the monopoly on development if you go to majority of the well-run federations on this planet you will see that their focus on their homepage is usually about development coaches licenses badges for all sorts of entities under the federation's umbrella they control it they manage it they use it to generate money they're independent of government they make their own decisions and they run their organizations. <clears throat> this is what they do. So if you look at the NFF from that standpoint and you evaluate Nigeria as a country as a whole, 200, some people say 211 million, right? Majority of the population is under the age of 30. Tropical climate, warm year round. Some sports scientists have said you find the best athletes on this planet that they reside above the Gulf of Guinea, which is essentially West African coastline, right? Um, So the natural athletes are there. You don't have winter. You have access. There's a stadium. There's a a stadium in every state in Nigeria, right? So the framework is there already. What you really have to do is create a system and hold everyone to the system and make sure, like you said, People actually teaching these kids are teaching them the proper thing and then let the system kind of just develop and give birth to the best of the best. That's what they have. Yeah, that's what they have to do. And every time, you know, we qualify for a World Cup, that that gets tossed out the window. Why? Because we're like, yeah, we don't need it because we're, we're doing good anyways. Right. When we fail, the conversation starts for a little bit and then. The higher coach, maybe we get some wins. And well, then I guess. <laughs> what, what is the conversation now? Let me tell you what the conversation is now. The the like um, vulture is already circling around the NFF offices for those who want to now take over for the the share From of Pinnick. the pie. Yeah. Uh, so Pinnick was uh, supposed to was going to run for a third term, and if he had any any kind of any kind of pride, he would have resigned already after that failure. It, it wasn't just the the match itself. The execution, it's a series of things. You know, we didn't, by not, us not qualifying for the World Cup, didn't happen over two legs against Ghana. It happened from how we fired Gernot Raw, you know, and, on, and the untimely firing. Again, I think and there's enough uh, evidence in, in this podcast for us to say we, I particularly agree that Gernot Raw should go. Like, I was never, never one that disagreed with that. I just said the timing of it is horrible. You can't Your be firing a coach. Terrible. If you were gonna like, you asked me a question once, when should we apply again to Roy? And I gave you the answer the moment we came back from from uh, Russia in 2018 yeah. or yeah. after AFCON in 2019. But to find him three weeks before the tournament, that was just that was just horrible. And that was a sort of fail. And the problem is that if we had succeeded, then we'll say, Oh, it works. In reality, no, that doesn't work. You know, it was like and that's the problem. We've been we've been covering up our tracks, doing the wrong thing, but su- the success that Guys were able to overcome those wrong decisions has made it seem as if things are going well. Now, two things. Already they're politicizing the NFF, the next NFF championship. I already heard one group called the Northern Bloc 
I never even heard of that in the NFF space before, but now I've heard the, the Northern Bloc is saying now the next president for, for, for NFF must come from the North. So we're Jesus seeing this again. Mercy. Another guy, oh another guy that he's now saying that people are asking him to run is Mr. Giwa, Dele Giwa, the one guy that had been throwing a uh, uh, whole football. The guy from the guy from Plato State. Yes, now the one that yeah, yeah, yeah. Been, it claims he won his the name Giwa. I don't think his name is Giwa. His name is uh, it's not Dele though. It's something else, right? Yes, yes, it's um, it's Giwa. But I, I, I you know, I think Dele Giwa is the one that uh, the journalist that got murdered, yeah. bombs, uh, with mm -hmm. the letter bomb, but uh, allegedly, um, allegedly, allegedly. Yes, yes, yes. I want yes. to go back to Nigeria, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, let's see, uh, uh, Chris Giwa. Chris, Chris Giwa, there you go, yeah. That's his name. So him, he's now he's now circling around again. So it's just like vultures. Yeah. So you can see already that if the if these are the people that are going to replace Melvin Amadjupinik, then these are not guys who are coming in in the interest of the ball of the country. These are guys that are self-serving, definitely self-serving. I know that at least I know for a fact that Christopher Giwa. He's, he's, he's terrible. He's looked like he's just hungry to, to, to steal he's money. Terrible. At him. And and then a northern block. Well, which one is a northern block again? Is, what the hell is, is that? Things that just hold us back. Instead of us to like be talking about the next, whoever the next best thing is, we're already trying to apportion it to politics of the country. So yeah, yeah. the other part of I wasn't. I was trying to say something about Pinnock. Again, the first two legs of the two legs we lost. I still believe that's not where we lost the ticket. We lost the ticket due to a whole bunch of missteps. But the one thing that really was the worst thing that occurred was what happened in the stadium after the game, before and after. You know, oh, yeah, the stampede. In a, in a play, yeah. the thing is yeah, annoying was... because we just came from Afcon where a situation like that occurred where there were deaths in the stadium because of lack of crowd control entering into the stadium. The same thing happened in Abuja again. First of all, they give away 20,000 free tickets. Okay, I applaud them. No Allah there. Let's let's get support from Super Eagles. But the crowd control entry into the stadium was horrible. People were saying that there were thousands of people trying to cram into one turnstile. You know, not not enough gates were open. So at the end, and they had like, and then they had this VI. Supposedly they said Buhari was coming. So they closed off one gate. So that only VIPs can enter, and the people were waiting for hours on end. So you can imagine the in that heat, the frustration. At the end of the day, they they just rushed that gate. They bum rushed the gate. So this was happening. This was before the game. There was already a stampede in the stadium before. Then after, if you've seen the highlights, did you see any riot police anywhere around that stadium? And when the fans were in the field, no. They said somebody just opened one of the gates. And let the fans into the into the into the onto the field. Then not when then somebody threw tear gas out there. It's just that that you know, falls yeah. under the purview of the NFF. That management. 100%. That's hundred percent. That, yeah. And that right there alone should have been a warning for them to just resign and be just just quit. But yeah, they won't. 100%. No, they, they won't. won't. Of course not. Resign? Are you, are you joking? <laughs> and Pinnick has the nerve to open his mouth and say, oh, I'm not going to run for a third term because it's having an impact on my time with my family. No, you should have resigned already. You shouldn't even be talking. To, don't talk. <sighs> Look, sometimes you know, I wonder who we offend to be Nigerians because nah. we, we, we get everything, the simplest things wrong. And we have people who don't have our interests at heart already in positions where they should be taking care of us. It's ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous. And this has to end. Amatu Penix should be should resign effective immediately. Oh, and yeah. everyone in that board should resign effective immediately. They, this is the one thing I would say every Nigerian cares about is football, the Super Eagles, getting to the and you yeah. fail it. When you fail, you do the honorable thing. Yeah, but that's admitting that's admitting fault though. You have to realize. Um, and I think like you said, changing the system is admitting fault. Stepping down is admitting fault. And that's not something that is characteristic. About well, what admitting if we see it, we've all we all the results, yeah, 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 yeah. But but it's one thing to see it, it's another thing for the person to say, Yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm a, it, look that, that that stampede situation that was that's really unfortunate because that goes beyond football. That's a security issue, that's a safety issue, that's a safety of thousands of people. You know, anytime you have an event like that and you know you're expecting thousands, sixty thousand people. 
and you cannot create an environment where a lot of them could easily get into the stadium. A lot of them could easily sit down. It's safe. It's easily accessible. All that you failed. And besides, apart from that, I don't even know what the NFF's plan was or whether or not they created an environment where they controlled all the revenue from that environment. I'm talking about parking. I'm talking about making sure that, you know, you had access to refreshments and you actually got all that money. I'm talking about everything associated with having 60,000 people at a venue. You know, I, I don't know whether or not they really maximize of because typically what happens in a lot of environments is when you have those sort of sort of events, they'll let you know how much they made. You know, of gate mm, of Nigeria. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, let's, 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 let's move on to another topic if that's what you want. You know, because, but but you see that the, the safety issue was just to disturb. I don't know. You know, clearly they dropped the ball. But the question I'm asking is: Do they have a department that handles game day event activities? Do they have? Do they just how how do, how does it even work? When okay, if you have a game coming up, and you have you know that you're going to have thousands of people. What's the plan within the NFF offices in Abuja to say, okay, this is how we're going to manage this. This is how this event is going to be organized. You know, um, I swear to you, I'll be curious to know, like, do they have meetings over meetings over meetings over meetings to talk about how this whole thing is going to plan out? Do they, you know, we don't know. We don't even know, you know, even after this came out, this thing happened. Was there any comment from them about how this is going to be never happen again? how you know it, it's it's those sort of things and like you said right chris giwa i don't even know what the northern block is but chris giwa and and those ones coming out what it's, it's like and here's what happens these guys go to every federation every fa and they try to bribe people across the board in every fa so they could vote for them you know i think i know what the northern block is now Another block means that, oh, if you happen to be from what's been termed a northern state, then you're part of that block, which essentially gives you majority of the votes in the country. Because, you know, you have 36 states. I think 19 of them are northern, 17 are southern. 19, yeah. Um, yeah, so classified northern, which to me, I, a lot of them really aren't. You know, um, I went to right, Spain right. Quara is not northern, right? Um, neither is Taraba, Benue, Plato. Yeah, they're not northern states. But that's what this is. It's an attempt to garner most of the votes. So you put someone forward, the person promises you all kinds of money that they're going to steal from the coffers of NFF, and they come together and try and put that person up. That's what this is. So they're, 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 they're bringing forth some guy named Al-Haji Yusuf. That's the guy that... Uh, that they feel is their man from the northern block, right? So, eh, does it even matter? It doesn't. But what matter. is he? What has he done? Where? Where? where exactly. We don't you know. know. It's, it's, I, I don't. I don't know. Listen, listen they can, I don't really know, so maybe I shouldn't cast too much aspersion. Yeah, there, you know, I, they, they, they can. They know who's exactly. And most likely, I just I, listen. I don't care who you bring, right? I just want to know what he, what the person has done. Why has this person come forward? What have they done in terms of development to really develop the space of whatever little space they were in before this? What did they accomplish and why are they qualified to do this? That's it. I mean, it, to me, it, it, you know, the, the, the fact that they're doing that means they're just trying to. Well, oh, we know what they now. Yeah, I, I think I think everyone should run in, in this situation. The NFF leadership is not something that they've done on rotational basis, not like the president of Nigeria. And so, it doesn't need to be. And if they even, yeah, I get the presidency. I, I kind of get that a little bit. But even that, I feel like shouldn't even be that way. Correct. But it is what it is. But definitely, we shouldn't be doing that. Our, and there's the one thing that, you know, has kind of sort of looked like it worked over the years. But now it's looking like that rot that is in, embedded inside of the nation itself has finally overwhelmed off of ball because really at the end of the day, nothing works. Even, you know, I think, look, let me, let me, let me point something out to you real fast about that second leg match. Obviously the day before that attack on the yeah. train that killed many, many dozens of people, if not hundreds of people and, you know, injured a lot more. 
by terrorists, let's call them what they are, they're terrorists and, and armed robbers, is a brazen attack on one of those lines that you would never expect that that should be happening in a country of that size. Mm-hmm. It's right there in, It's right there close to Abuja. I think there yeah. was a scepter of that that was in the air. It just, everything, it just felt the, the, the vibe was just not positive in the air. You could just feel that because it was, you know, say what you want to say about politics, but there's one thing we can say is that it just doesn't look like the, the people have confidence in the president of the nation right now, you know? Some will even say it's almost better that Nigeria didn't even win that match because there were bigger issues at hand that particular day, you know, that we yeah. needed to uh, attend to and focus on rather than focusing on a football match. Yeah. But the thing that, and, and, but then we always complain about our leaders, but really our leaders come from amongst the people. It's not like the leaders come from out of space or from different countries. They come from the people. And so the attitude of the people is generally the attitude of the leaders. Before the match, there's supposed to be a minute of silence to honor those who died in that um, horrible attack on the train just the day before. Silence kept. The whole stadium was noisy. Everyone was still there talking. and ch- So you see, simple things like that that we cannot even do ourselves. And we, then, we now expect those who lead us who could care less to be doing the honorable things. And we, it's, it's not just the leaders. That need, it's, it's a mindset shift in the entire nation, really, a mentality shift that needs to occur and once that starts occurring, maybe we can start demanding, holding our leaders way more accountable for things that they ought to be doing. It's just a sad state of affair. And then nothing is working in the country. And so it's no surprise that football itself is also not working. Suffering. Anyway, so let's move on. Speaking about uh, changes in NFF, Samuelito is uh, president of FECAFOOT. Is it FECAFOOT in Cameroon? So they, um, you know, his funny story is that, you know, I heard, I don't know how accurate it is, but he comes in and one of the first thing he does, he goes to the front office of the Federation and all the workers that showed up late on that first day, he locks all of them. Yes, I told you that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Last podcast that we had. Yes, that's a very true story. It's It's true. It's not really, it's very true. Yes. Yeah, so. (laughs) Very accurate story. And a lot of people were. And I gave them hell for hiring Rigobert Song. Because that first leg was just atrocious against Algeria. But look, they came back, they went to Algeria, and they did the they did they did the business, man. They went out there, they showed grit and they won the game and they qualified. So Cameroon to me, the, the, the largest well, you could make the argument that Senegal's comeback was difficult too, but Cameroon on the road. Yeah, theirs was definitely the toughest part. Went yeah. back when when we did our breakdown of who we thought were going to win, we both just summarily agreed that Cameroon was out. We didn't even yeah, get yeah, it. We, yeah. we did have that caveat. You mentioned that at the end. Like, yeah, I, 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 I said, hey. Have to do this because we've seen it before, isn't it? Did it surprise us that they did it? No. Did we expect that they were going to do it? Obviously not. So mm-hmm. hats off to them completely. And there you could see the, the fight, the drive, the passion, the desire. They had all of that, which is simply missing from our Super Eagles. You know, enough mm-hmm. to say on Algeria, they have to be completely disappointed. Now, speaking of that, though, and, you know, when you talk about Cameroon and Algeria and you talk about Egypt and um, Senegal, two very high profile, let's just say West African, North African matchups. For all intents and purposes, Cameroon are part of us in West Africa. We had a central, but we know that they're yeah. pretty much West African-ish. Yeah, they were part of Nigeria before independence. And, so, and yeah. both of those were overcome by the West African sides or the sub-Saharan yeah. sides. And what I what I, I cannot stand which I was happy extremely, about by the way, extremely happy. I cannot about, stand yeah. this. Neither <laughs> both Egypt and Algeria follow that up with series of complaints. Yeah. Oh, let's replay the matches. Not one time did any of them congratulate the team that defeated no, them over no, two legs. No, and, and this is becoming this is becoming annoying as hell. And the, the the North Africans are just they continue to do this. It's almost as if there's no way that any of these other teams can dare beat them. You know, how dare these are, they just don't accept that they've been beaten by any of these guys ever. And well, that's why you remember I told you, I said that's why they get on my nerves. I never root for them, never. And especially if they're playing any sub Saharan country. I hate to say this, but it's a fact because even in AFCON, when it's clear they lost, you see them coming up with all sorts of complaints. There have been incidents where their fans have attacked our players on road games in their stadiums. There have been all sorts of things over the years. 
So yeah, but go ahead, man. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, and that has to that has to change. I mean, look at the end of the day, sportsmanship, man. You play. I mean, Algeria were complaining about the referee. You played at home. Everything was there for you. You messed up. You you <laughs> you had a you had the World Cup ticket with seconds to go, and you blew it. There was no referee that did anything that you blew it. Send up and be counted. Congratulate the other team. It hurts, but congratulate the other team and move on. Um, and that, that stuff is just it's 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 an, and then the Egypt <laughs> the Egypt Senegal one is the most contentious one, of course. I mean, if you watch the first leg, you will see those lasers being pointed at Senegalese players. And in in in, West, in Africa, it's the North Africans have brought that nonsense to the continent. That whole hundred percent. They started it, yeah. 100%. And the Senegalese were like, "Oh, you want to do that? Oh, we'll show you that we got we have technology. We have lasers too." Now I don't agree with what they were doing because that's certainly not in the spirit of fair play. But I mean, look, you cannot cry about it after you, the one that started it, you did it just three days earlier, and now you want to say, "Oh, replay the match because Mosala misses penalty." Hey, you know, next time make a penalty. The best of the best miss penalties, and and let's be honest: before the penalty, you had how many minutes the whole game? To score a goal, minutes. yeah, one goal. Great chance. That is with you, yeah, because now. Exactly. exactly. So, so, so it, it was I a lame excuse. And besides, at the end of the day, man, although I'll say it's unfortunate Algeria is not there, but really at the end of the day, Egypt doesn't, I don't I don't need Egypt representing Africa. The brand of football is boring, just like Tunisia. Their brand of football is boring. And if I could have, if I could have done something, I would have swapped out uh, Tunisia playing against uh, Cameroon and Algeria playing against, uh, against Congo. So we yeah. can get rid of Tunisia, get rid of Egypt, maybe give Algeria the chance to represent North Africa and pretty much and the rest of the teams that qualified. I like the five teams that made it to the World Cup, except me, you know, obviously, except Ghana. I don't think Ghana will go there and they, they will actually represent well because they know how to play. Their style means that they're not they're set up not to lose. And once you set up not to lose and you add one or two quality guys, which all of a sudden you're seeing those quality guys are starting to circle the European born Ghanaians starting to circle around the team saying they want to play uh, in Ketia, their place for Arsenal. He's already talking about it. There's another guy that, oh, Inaki Williams for um, Athletic Club in in um, in Madrid. In, uh, in Madrid. In yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, he's talking about trying to represent Ghana at the World Cup. So you're now oh, seeing those guys. Oh, yeah, he's Ghanaian, but he grew up in um, the Basque region there in, 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 Spain. Um, in Spain in Bilbao. So yeah. I, I hate that, by the way. That these guys too. kind of sit, they, they sit on their asses. And then, you know, you have all these players that go there and work really hard and get the team qualified for the World Cup. And then these guys then show up and they, oh, by the way, did you know my great grandfather was Ghanaian? I could Hudson play for Yep. Hudson yeah. All those, so those are the three main. So if they, I mean, honestly, I hate it, but really with the team Ghana has right now, they're, they're just going to make up the numbers. And that one's kind of clear. Right? I don't, I just yeah. don't see them. They're not experienced enough. They're a good team. And I like the way the coach has them set up because the setup, the setup is they're not going to lose. They're not going to, they're not going to lose. They're not going to be the ones that will be the instrument of losing the game, but they yeah. also probably won't take the game to you. So they're just lacking. They're lacking some quality up front because they have good midfielders. So they have guys that can do some work and produce chances for their forwards and they have speed. And, 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 and they, are, they have pace. That's what I was going to say. And they're athletically gifted. So, you know, if you look at their, draw in the world cup you have portugal uruguay and south korea i can see ghana taking out uruguay and south korea even portugal is not guaranteed that they will beat them depending on the mindset they have going into that game now portugal have experience in cristiano ronaldo which i think is going to give their defense problems um but uruguay you know yes they do have those i call them killers you know in in in, in uh suarez and um Cavani, well, you know they 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 they're older, but they just they're still killers though. Those guys, I, I saw Cavani, I saw, yeah, the experience. So I could see them. But Ghana is young. They're pacey. They're strong. You know, I was telling um one of my Ghanaian friends, he was like laughing at me because we lost. You know, they knocked us out. I said, you know, it's crazy. I'm going to. I'm still going to be rooting Yeah, and I and I said, you know what? I'm still going to be rooting for you in the World Cup. That's the crazy thing about it. Of course, now like whoever Ghana plays. Yeah, I'm I'm going to be in Ghana's corner. So, you know, it's it's but I think if they can, you know, I, I could see them giving a lot of these countries problems. 
it's, it's really going to be about confidence of their team. If, um, yeah. if so, I mean, what's going to happen is not, the odd the goal will, will decide most of those games, right? So we're looking at one slip up defensively. You won one game, zero zero, one nothing. Yeah. Those are the kind of scores we're going to be seeing in those games. Yeah. Portugal, I don't know if you watch a lot of their qualifiers. But one thing is very clear: Portugal is not reliant on Ronaldo anymore. They don't even like he's now yeah. like a passenger on the team more than the conductor now. It's, he's being carried by the likes of Diogo Jota um, and Diogo Bruno Jota, Fernandez. Fernandez. And, 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 and what's uh, what's the name of that kid that plays for Atletico? Um, uh, uh, Felix. 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 Listen, this guy's Portugal is solid, bro. That's and the midfield consists of very good guys. Uh, Nuevas, the place for Wolverhampton, Warner Wanderers, a bunch of and grinders. Portugal's team, look, that, that they're still a dark horse. A sleeper yeah. team yeah. to go to the, at least the semifinals. Uruguay, it's the experience. But for me, I feel like Ghana should feel like that's a, as good a draw as they got to get Uruguay. And yeah. so, to me, Portugal is probably going to be the top team. And then that second spot is being fought by all three teams. Obviously, Ghana will be the one with the least amount of pedigree. People will see. But South Korea is not bad either. Of course, they got Sung Hyung Min. No, South Korea always shows up. You know, but, yeah. And, and tactically, they're, they're usually solid. So they may not beat you man for man, but tactically, as a group, the way they will approach the game is going to be solid. So I think Ghana's group is the most balanced group in the in the entire World Cup. I don't want to say it's the group of death necessarily, but it's definitely the most balanced group out of all the. the yeah. The draw. Now, now Cameroon, on the other hand, they're in a battle, bro. Their group, you know, Switzerland, Serbia, and Brazil. They can come um, out of that group if they just. Oh, they. I mean, if they get their act together and start playing, like if they play Ser- like Serbia, Serbia, and Brazil, Serbia, Serbia, and Switzerland are solid, man. Those are good. They teams. are, but. Let's put it like this. If we were in that group, would you say that you don't think we can beat Serbia and Switzerland on a good day? I think I think we can. You know, it's you're right. On a good day, we have to show up. So Cameroon, yes, Cameroon. I can see Cameroon taking them out. You know, it's just it's gonna come down to, you know, again, I think it's mindset. A lot of these things, let's say I I and and need to pull up the um the, the actual fixtures to see who they play first. If they play a Serbia or Switzerland first, not a Brazil. And they able to get a Re- yes. It, so we, and Switzerland is good. I don't know if you've been watching him. I saw that I watched them in the Euros. I saw some of their qualifiers. They know how you know, and remember what happened in the Euros? They almost um who did they almost knock off? One of the major teams. They played oh, yeah, really- I think they played all they beat didn't they uh they were playing against uh uh Denmark, I believe. Denmark yeah, is really yeah. out, I believe, and they were arriving that wave of Christian Eriksen support. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they actually had an underwhelming um, Euros, but that's Euros. Switzerland. They usually, in qualifiers, they're like world beaters, but when they get to the actual tournament, they, don't, they just don't seem to have that that next gear, right? Yeah. After qualifiers, they just seem to be stuck in that. It's It's been the, the bane of their football. They're stuck in the gear that gets them there. They look good in qualifiers, usually top to a group, or at least but when they get to the World Cup, they're still in that mode. They can't take it to the next level because they typically simply don't have those star players, you know? Yeah. They're, they're, the star forward, if you want to call him a star, is Mbolo that plays in, uh, I think he plays in Germany somewhere. He, 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 not, he doesn't have Cameroonian heritage with that name. Yeah, I think he does, is, yeah. Uh, and then Sha- Shodan Shakiri, but Shakiri doesn't even really play anymore. Yeah, like, Shakiri is not the same. Yeah. Exactly, so... <clears throat> They're they're there to be had. The 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 key to the the um the greatness of their organization. They're always going to have solid defending. You know they're going to be hard to beat. That's for sure. But they're nothing special. I think that's that's pretty much it. Serbia is the one that that. And when I look at that Cameroonian group, Serbia is the one that I think they're battling it with because those Serbians are technically always very. Oh man, great. dude, I love uh, I love those guys that come from the former Yugoslavia. I love their players, man. Well, that's crazy. Right now, yeah, playing yeah, I think yeah, he scored dude. like 30 something goals already this season, even though it's in the um the English championship. But he is the beast. The thing is, he's a beast in the championship level when it comes to the Premier League, not necessarily translates to um to success to goals. But hey, he's there and, and Mitrovic. Yeah, that's Mitrovic, his name. Alexander Mitrovic. Yeah, he and he yeah. so walk up something like this, all he needs to do is just find a, a good patch of form. It could be problems. We yeah, played no, they, against they, Serbia in the pre-World Cup, uh, well, in the, the friendlies before the World Cup in 2018. And, man, he was a handful for our defenders. Handful. Handful. Yeah. 
right? Yeah, no, they 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 have players, and 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 that's even the ones we know of. These these guys are solid, man. I think, you know, it's gonna be a fun. Senegal, Senegal, Senegal is the, is the team that I think everybody. I was actually talking to a couple of friends. I, I resumed playing football again recently. I think my knee injury is finally up, so I'm I'm eligible to be called up by whoever the new Super Eagles coach is. <laughs> but let's put that to the side. Um, most 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 people here in the United States. Look at Senegal. That after, one of the guys told me, "Look, I think Senegal can make to the semifinals." Now, I don't, I didn't quite share that same enthusiasm, but I think if you're a Senegalese, you're feeling rather confident about your ability to do well in this World Cup. I think they got a favorable draw in the World Cup. They're in the same group as Qatar, which Ecuador. I mean, they have, they have no one's scared of. No one's quaking in the boots to play them. Uh, Ecuador. Okay, so I'll say they give as well as they take. So pretty decent team. But Netherlands are the pick of that group right there. But again, it's the Dutch. I, I, I can see Senegal beating Holland. It's I, Holland for you. Know, yeah. I can. I can see yeah, Senegal yeah, might yeah. be the best team in that group. No, Senegal for sure. I think, listen, I, I, I saw some of Ecuador's game qualifying. I think Senegal beat them, man. Listen, this Senegalese team that just played two legs with... Uh, Egypt and came out the Senegalese team. They are tactically solid. You have to realize the, the system they play. They they have a solid system. They play very well. They have very good players in the midfield, at the back, in front. They manage quality, the game well. Quality. quality players. I'm not talking about these are these are really good guys. I mean, I think this might be the best African team that we've seen in a long time. And I think yeah, they are, I, are champions. It's just yeah. a matter of them um, showing up. And at least, let's put it like this. I, I I still think, even though they're champions, I still think they somehow don't play up to the quality they have individually. And yeah. They don't use that as a collective unit as well as they could. They have a world-class player in Mane. Actually, they have a couple of world They have like three world-class players. They have Idrissa Gay. They have a couple of guys. They have, what's his name? Is the Khalidu Koulibaly was a world-class Koulibaly. Yeah, goalkeeper is a world-class goalkeeper. Goalkeeper is a world-class goalkeeper. And if you look yeah. at... Ghana yeah. Gay, I won't quite say he's world class, but he's definitely in that. Is he's definitely in the yeah. in the class, you know? And and then even the uh, auxiliary players like Idrissa Saar, that guy Saar, is like is good on the wing. Yeah, they have, look, um, what's the guy that plays for Marseille? Oh, Marseille in as the center back. Look, their team is just brimming with nothing but the. When we talk about the where they play, they play in top five leagues for top teams in top five leagues. So. Champions League players, and, players and, 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 here's, and, and and here's the thing, right? You look at Senegal's population; it's not more than Lagos, right? Um, but this isn't a coincidence, and, and you know we're, we're talking about sports and development here. This isn't a coincidence. The same thing we we're just saying about Nigeria, Senegal over the last, I would say, the last twenty years, has created more developmental programs than you can possibly imagine. You know, there's Diambas that was created years ago. There are a couple of other football development facilities that have been built in Senegal, in Dakar, outside Dakar, and all over the country. They have a lot of players coming through the system. They develop them. A lot of the guys end up going to play at top leagues because they're good enough. They go out there. They take teams to compete globally. They get experience. This is not a coincidence. And their coach is locally hired. As a matter of fact, he's one of the guys that helped start the Ambars. So they, they've, over the years, have been able to build up this system for development. So now we're seeing all these players coming through the ranks who are exceptional Senegalese players, and there are more coming because they've created a system in their little country that we can see the benefits of. Senegal's a small country. Yeah, it is. It yeah, is. yeah, yeah, yeah. Senegal, if you look at it, I mean, Senegal is maybe the size of Benin Republic. They're not big. Yeah. You know, but look at what they're doing. It, it, it comes down. He's been there eight years. Yeah, he's been there eight and years. They're giving him time to. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like I said, success doesn't happen accidentally, man. There's no, no you no. just accidentally stumble upon success. So no. he, he, he finished second in AFCON last time around and won it this time around. So you can see, and it's been coming. It's been coming. It's been coming. You know, so you know, again, not, this is a golden. This is the second golden generation, but I think this correct. one is actually the real, real, real. But the other thing too, we must also admit, I think the French, the French call the former French colonies have one little bit of an advantage over the um, English. They go to France to play. Yeah, because um, 
back when when they finished, it was easier for those immigr immigrants to go live in France, whereas for England, it wasn't as easy. The style of play too, the, the French style of play focuses on technique rather than boot strength and athleticism, which is what the English game is more about, you know, pace and, you know, directness. So these guys now grow up in France. They, they get that culture, they're cultured basically in technique. And now they choose to play for Senegal. A lot of, a lot of them were born in France. Papis Mendy, born in France, you know, uh, the, the goalkeeper. Uh, yeah. A bunch of other guys. So another country that is is that's why I was I was looking at them as one possible country that could make a shock in the qualifiers is Mali. Those two countries in particular seem to benefit the most from uh, the fact yeah, that all of, all of Mali's players, all of them, all of them, you know, virtually almost all. I don't think there's anyone that plays <laughs> that that even got developed locally. All of them kind of play. All of them kind of play and stay locally, you know, in their league. So I think, um, you know, it's it's kind of uh, it's one of those things. Can't hold on. Hey, hey. Okay, now. Yeah, man. We um, have a special guest today. Is that what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Well, and and so sorry about that. Not a problem. <laughs> he's, he's learning the ropes early. <laughs> so he has to take over take over from you at some point. <laughs> no man but you know when you look at it is 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 those sort of things in terms of development that you look at it and you're like you know uh but we dropped the ball i mean and you look at look at morocco's group you know um morocco and tunisia if you look at their groups in the world cup um i don't think morocco qualifies i'm sorry um i think canada people are going to sleep on that team i think they're a good team you know, they, they qualify top of CONCACAF. They surprise a lot of teams. Um, they beat the United States and drew with them on the road. Um, you know, they they have real talent on the team. Um, you know, real talent. You look at Belgium, you look at Croatia. I'm sorry. Yeah, that honestly, that I said I said that group was balanced when where um um who's in that group again? Um sorry, Ghana was in. But I'm looking at this group F with Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. That's another mm -hmm. pretty solidly poised group. And of course, easy. Everyone's going to look at Croatia and Belgium. I think Belgium they have the spot. But I'm actually thinking Morocco. That game against Croatia becomes a big game because I, as my look, as much as I like Canada and their story, I just don't think they just don't have the experience, the pedigree. And so, mm -hmm. as of right now, I have to say that they're the least favorite, in in my opinion. Morocco, even though Morocco may not be a team that anyone necessarily fears, but they have players. They have players, top players, and they've been there before. They've done this. There's something to be said about having been at this stage, man. And a lot of these Canadian guys would be the first time the whole, the eyes of the world would be on them. So that's a huge amount of pressure. And it remains to see how they'll, they'll handle that. I, I give Morocco a fighting chance. Croatia, of course, they're Croatia. We're talking about Modric, uh, Ilic, uh, you know, Ilicic. Um, all those guys. Perisic, all those Perisic. guys. Listen, Croatia is a solid team, man. Yeah. Um, but Morocco can beat them on a, on a good day. You know, they can't. It's just, uh, ah, yeah. I know you don't have as much confidence, <laughs> but I wouldn't stick my neck out. All I'm saying is that match between Morocco and Croatia might, might well decide who goes on to qualify along with Belgium. You know? Let me put like this to you. Tunisia and Morocco, I just think they're not. Look, I have, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm becoming a little harsh. I'm tired of seeing Tunisia. Tunisia style <laughs> it just puts me to sleep. They're boring. They don't do anything. They just go to. They just take up. They take up a space. They don't. They don't do anything that benefits the African game. It's like, oh my goodness, they're, they're just annoying to watch. They don't nothing, nothing. And now they're there, and that's why I was. I, if, if I if I had my way, I'll swap Algeria out to Tunisia and just let the Tunisians go do something else. That that will. Most of their matches in the World Cup have been snooze fest. And I'm talking going all the way back to 19. Do you remember any Tunisian match where you're like, oh, my God, that was a great game? No. 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 Everybody no. else has been there at least has had some memorable moments. Cameroon. Yeah. Cameroon. That's my Nigeria. point, though. You know, when you look at the Tunisia and you look at the Morocco, you know, Morocco might have a little bit more confidence in them if Hakim Ziyech was playing for them. Um, but Right now, what I see, the, what's his name is the real stud on their team. Um, what's his name? Um, 
he scored that main goal for them in Afcon. Um, oh, you talking about Hakimi? Hakimi, Hakimi. He's, well, he's they, and they have Sudali. They have a bunch of guys. So the thing yeah, about Morocco, they also have like a conveyor belt of people from France, from Spain, from Netherlands. You know, yeah. they come into the team, and and they have a, they have good teams at home. Their league at home, they have really solid teams at home. So, but I don't I don't see them not in that group. Uh, you know, sorry, yeah, I just don't we'll see, see them. I see them. Well, I mean, oh, really, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, listen, I could be wrong. I think we need to assess once we get closer to the World Cup, and we can do more. You know visibility of our assessment becomes greater because we're talking about finishing this season, off season, start of next season. There's so many variables that are going to occur between now and then that it change a lot of things. People inform, people injure it. So we'll see how that goes. But that's I think good, that, that, that's actually a really good point though. So I think, um, yeah, we'll see. There's some time. There's some yeah. time. Yeah. Let me ask you one question. I know sure. we're probably running out of time here. Yeah, would we're... you, would if you, would you be willing to go to Qatar to watch the world cup there? Yeah. He, How do you feel he, about going there for this this particular World Cup? Yeah, man, I would love to go. You know, um, I, I don't want to. Why not? I don't want to. Um, for one, one of the most obvious reasons is that Nigeria is not there. But apart from that, I'm a football fan first. It's a World Cup, right? Yeah, games. exactly. Um, I feel I, I feel the weight of restrictions that would be put on everything. First of all, all the stadiums are within a 40 mile radius, which should make this a joyous situation. But really, outside of that radius, what is there to do? I feel like there's too many restrictions on 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 women, on people. That's the problem, right? Orientation, you know, uh, even on no, drinking, no, no. you know, things like that. I just feel like, so what is this? Am I going to spend my whole time in a 40-mile radius? I don't want to say this. I don't want to sound bad. But also, I do fear, um, I do fear for security, you know, in terms of, attacks we're very close to an area of the world that is not particularly the safest region in the world you know nowhere is really 100 safe but i look at i'm looking at the way things are going in the world right now that's a when everybody's within a 40 mile radius of each other that just seems that just screams attack 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 to me i don't know no, no. they're valid they're valid concerns man listen um you know you're right it's in a region of the world where you know historically hasn't been safe I, I i don't know anyone qatar is beefing with but then th some of these groups don't need an excuse for you to be beefing with them for them to destroy something um um you're right the restrictions though because the world cup is supposed to be a celebratory event where everything is open where it's kind of a festival you could go wherever you want you know people are you know getting hammered not that getting hammered is okay but it's part of football right it's part of the whole celebration of it's a celebration and the celebration should not be confined you know you know and all that stuff so i no, i totally get where you're going you know um they gave them the world cup bro yeah, and once they see, gave them I've been, yeah, to, I've been to a couple of world cup matches and i've been to, i've seen the atmosphere around but it was here in the united states in 94 and yeah. back then back then football in america hadn't really taken root right back then so I would my experience. So I lived about less than five miles away from where the Brazilian team camped. I lived that time. I lived in Campbell, California, and they camped in Los Gatos. Los Gatos is the next city over. So yeah. every day, when you just we just after school, we just go outside the hotel. It was nothing but party outside the Brazilian uh, team hotel, samba dancers. But this is was very foreign to the American space at that time. Um, Saw a couple of their practices. One they had, they were holding open practices in Santa Clara University at the time. So I was lucky enough to go watch one of their open practices. The thing I always remember is I had never seen a goalkeeper kick the ball so effortlessly, and the ball just went so far, like when Tafarel was kicking it, you know, in practice. I, was, I always remember that. But anyways, I digress again. I seem to use that word quite a bit today. But um, I, I would like to actually go to a World Cup. But I think if I wanted to go, I want to go to one in Europe because that's, for me, that's where the heart and soul of football is at. Maybe I missed my chance to go to Brazil in 2014. But, you know, that, that's my next. I've already done it once, but let me do it again. So no, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming North America in four years. So, oh, uh, then enough for sure we'll be here. Now. Then, yeah, then yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. even, I'll definitely be, God yeah. willing, obviously. But Yes, God yeah. willing. We'll, 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 we'll all be here and, um, you know, and hopefully won't be restricted by any kind of commitment. And I think by the next World Cup, it'll be 48 teams if FIFA has their way, which I think, again, is another one of those 
It's just, I think 32 is perfect as it is. You know, one can argue about how many slots each continent should have. I think that's a discussion for another day. We want to revisit right. that. But right, yeah. 48, it, the values are called, I think the values, that means everybody's getting in at that point. So the qualification becomes, you know, like right now, I even look, Italy not being there, Nigeria not being there, it hurts, but it actually is, it, it gives the sport something to talk about, you know, and it's a talking point. Maybe somebody else is now showing up and can do something. It makes, it makes folks realize like, hey, listen, being here is not a, it's not a given, you know, you have to earn it. And some good teams didn't earn it. They got knocked out, you know. Are so, they good teams? Yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in, supposedly good teams in the eyes okay. of the world. Historically, they've been recognized as teams from their confederations that have performed. You know, Italy, Nigeria. You know, so. Um, but yeah, but yeah, man. Listen, we're gonna wrap up. Thanks so much. Uh, enjoy your time where you are. I know you're out there partying and. Uh, We'll do this again. Got another session coming up soon. So we gotta get something scheduled and do it yes, again. Yes, sir. I Talk remain loyal. Chairman. Yes, sir.